Well, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the chance to be in this beautiful place on a gorgeous day. So grateful, Lord, the way that you love us, the way that you love us so unconditionally and absolutely. And we've sung about that today. We've experienced your love in our worship today. Now I pray, God, that we'll learn not only how to receive your forgiving mercy, but how to give it so that we can receive it, how to forgive so we can be forgiven, how to release so that we can be released, and how to find the blessedness that you offer every one of us today. I pray that for me and for us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So it was a strange week in the news this week. You might have seen this. Um, that doesn't show up as well on the screen, I'm afraid. That is a pyramid of pennies. A million 30,000 pennies that this man spent three years building. I have no idea why. I don't know what you did with the last three years of your life. He spent them building a pyramid of pennies. Moving right along, this man sold this block of cheese. Doesn't that look appetizing? In Spain this week for $16,142.16, by the way. That was the high bid. Yeah, for a block of as I said, strange news in the news this week. Another example, this man made the Guinness Book of World Records by placing 146 blueberries in his mouth at the same time. So if you're wanting to be in the Guinness Book of World Records, you now have a pathway. Just start practicing blueberries. Put blueberries in your mouth. John, I don't know how many you can hold. I wouldn't get close to 146, probably not. And this is a bulldog. Mortimer had a rough week. Mortimer was having some digestive issues. They took him to the vet. The vet gave him some medicine, sent him home. He was still not doing well. They brought him back. They did some uh, further testing, and they discovered that Mortimer had swallowed 19 pacifiers. They then did what was necessary surgically, which I won't go into the details of, and Mortimer is now going to be fine. After He's a pacifist. That's right, John. Thank you for that. There you go. There you go. After that, maybe not. Maybe he's not a pacifist. I just don't know. That's, there you go. Very, <laughs> thank you for that. Very good. I was thinking, you know, Mortimer is a great name for a dog. I mean, don't you think? I hope none of you are named Mortimer. That'd be terrible if I just said that. All that to say, there was some strange news in the news this week. I, here's the point I wanted to make out of all of that. A lot of what happens last week in the news will be forgotten next week in the news. A lot of this stuff, you know, it's a one-day thing. You won't see it much in the news, hopefully. Hopefully Mortimer won't be in the news in the future coming down the way. If you would like to do something today that will be remembered forever, then what you want to do is obey Jesus' fifth beatitude. We're walking through the beatitudes this summer. We come today to this. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. We have four questions. What is mercy? What isn't mercy? Why should we show mercy? How do we show mercy? To start into all of that, let me ask you, who hurt you most recently or most deeply? Not a rhetorical question. Who hurt you most recently or most deeply? Who comes to mind? Who's somebody for whom forgiveness is an issue with you? Have them in mind. Let's walk through this together. First of all, what is mercy? It's been said that grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. 
It's grace if you give me your car. That would be grace. I didn't pay for it, didn't earn it, did nothing to deserve it. That would be grace if you gave me your car sitting out on the parking lot. It would be mercy if I back into your car and you don't make me pay for it. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It's grace to be given money. It's mercy to have a debt forgiven. Does that make sense? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's what mercy is. Real important to understand what mercy is not. Lewis Smead some years ago had a marvelous book on forgiveness entitled Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts We Don't Deserve. And in it, he makes clear forgiveness is not forgetting what was done, first of all. We think that we haven't forgiven someone if we still remember the pain. Not true. God is able to forget. Isaiah 5 says that God not only forgives our sin, but he remembers it no more. God has the ability, after he forgives your sin, to literally forget it. The next time you confess it, after you've confessed it, God won't know what you're talking about. But that's God. That's not you. That's not me. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not pretending it didn't happen as though it could go away. It's not forgetting what was done. It's not excusing the behavior that hurt you. Forgiving isn't finding an excuse where it doesn't exist. It's not trying to find some way to justify the behavior. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not pretending you're not hurt. Forgiveness is not tolerating the person or behavior that hurt you. That's not forgiveness. So how do we do this? Forgiveness is pardon. Forgiveness is choosing not to punish. Forgiveness is the governor pardoning the criminal. Doesn't mean that the governor excuses the behavior or pretends it didn't happen or tolerates it. He chooses not to punish as he could have. Forgiveness is pardon. And that works on all kinds of levels. Forgiving somebody in the sense of pardoning them can have to do with how you think about them. It can have to do with the emotions you feel toward them. It can have to do with the actions that you take to respond to them. There are all sorts of ways in which pardon works. Forgiveness is pardon. It's turning them over to God. It's saying, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness is choosing not to punish. Now, we're not talking today about legal issues. We're not talking about a situation where you should prosecute a crime done against you. That's not the point. We're talking in relational context. I'm not saying that if somebody steals your car, you should not prosecute, that you shouldn't call the police. If somebody does something criminal against you, that you should pardon in the sense of not punishing. That's not our conversation. Our conversation has to do with interpersonal hurts. It has to do with relational pain. And in that context, biblical forgiveness is choosing not to punish. So why would you do that? And then how do you do that? Why would you do this? Why would you be merciful? Number one, to stop your personal cycle of pain. Some years ago, there was a leader in a particular church where Janet and I were serving, who um, one of the staff members who I discovered was saying some things about me that just weren't true. And they were really hurtful. Turned out this person had a different motive for why they were doing this and a whole story there. But uh, nonetheless, there were some people that got the story wrong before they got it right. You don't get to unring a bell. You don't get a second chance to make that first impression. There was a story about a rabbi that had been blasphemed. One of the members of his congregation said terrible things about him. Then he came to the rabbi to apologize and ask what penance he could do. The rabbi asked the man to bring his pillow. He brought a pillow. The rabbi cut the pillow and released the feathers to the air. 
and said to the man, as soon as you can gather up each of the feathers, I will forgive you, which you can't do. Wrong thing for the rabbi to do, but you get the point. When it's out there, it's hard to get it back. Well, that's what happened to me. And in this context, every time I would think about this person, even now, there's a part of me that wants to punish them. There's a part that wants to get them back. There's a part that wants to say what I would have said if I had known. There's a part that wants to do something to get back, to get vengeance, to, to, uh, to justify. There's a part of me that wants to do that. And as I'm doing that, right now, I'm reliving it. Right now, I'm reliving that pain. And they're hurting me again. It's been many years. No idea where that person is anywhere on the planet. But right now, I'm letting them hurt if I'm not willing to release it and let it go. Some years ago, there was a well-known comedian that went through a horrific divorce, very public, very nasty, angry divorce. Some months later, he was on a late-night talk show, and he was cracking jokes, and he was funny, and he was kind of back to his old self, and the host asked this comedian what had caused him to get back to this place. And he a few weeks earlier, he was at a party, and he saw his ex-wife dancing with her new boyfriend and realized all of his anger wasn't hurting her. It was killing him, but it wasn't hurting her. Frederick Meekner says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun. To lick your wounds, to savor to the last twosome morsel, both the pain you're given and the pain you're giving back, in many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. We pardon to stop the personal cycle of hurt if we don't. Second, we do this to receive mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, this is not transaction. This is not God waiting in heaven until you've pardoned someone so that you have earned his willingness to pardon you. This isn't how this works. You can't earn grace, all right? I'm willing to forgive you. I position myself to be willing and able to receive the forgiveness and the mercy of God. But as long as I'm hard and harsh toward you, I'm unable and unwilling to receive what God wants to give me. Another example. One of the churches that Jen and I pastored, there was a lawyer in the congregation that did some things relative to the church that absolutely wrong and were very hurtful to me and to our staff and to our deacons and to our leadership. I would see that family on Sunday. And I would see them on Sunday. I would be really angry with them. And in my anger toward them, something happened inside me. There became a bitterness inside me. There became a harshness inside me that began affecting how I saw others and how I saw myself. And the day I finally came to release them to God was the day I found in my own heart the ability to be released. Does that make sense? If you're going to be harsh toward others, you're going to be harsh toward yourself. You won't be able to receive what you're not willing to give. Third, to break the cycle of revenge. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a biblical principle which was intended to stop the escalation of violence. It was a huge step forward in the ethical uh, revelation of the day. Prior to that, the idea was, because you didn't have police forces, you didn't have National Guard and all that sort of thing, so if David attacks me, if David kills me, then the only way to keep something like that from happening is if David kills me, my sons kill his whole family. 
And then anybody that survives of his family kills my whole tribe. And anybody that reminds of my tribe kills his whole associate of tribes. There was an escalation of violence that was intended to prevent violence. That makes sense? So, so the, the Bible comes along. Uh, Moses comes along and says, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to limit the vengeance to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was a huge step forward. But it is not a prescription that requires such response. It limits the response. It doesn't require it. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth doesn't say if someone takes your eye, you're required to take their eye. It just means you can't take in their eye. All right? And the vengeance cycle continues. Quoting Beekner again, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a rapid way to a sightless, toothless world. You're not allowed to do more than exact what was done to you. The best thing to do is not to do that. The best thing to do in a relational context is to pardon, to break the cycle. One last thought. When you demonstrate the forgiveness, the mercy of God, what you're really demonstrating is the love of Christ. Jesus in John 13 said to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Remember on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus forgiving, merciful, pardoning grace is now what he asks us to give others. And then he says, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have this kind of love one for another. I tell you what, if you choose to pardon this week, you'll be unique in our culture. If you choose to forgive rather than seeking vengeance and revenge and perpetuating the cycle of anger and vengeance and frustration, if you choose to let it go, if you choose to give it to God, if you choose to release it, you'll be unique. Your witness will be powerful in our culture. So I hope by now you're asking our last question. How do we do this? How does this work? Let's do this. First of all, you admit the reality of your hurt. Get very real about it. Put words to it. Write it down. Be very specific. I am angry because of this. I am hurt by this. I'm upset about this. This person did this to me. Be very specific. Admit it. Chuck Swindoll says, tell God on them. <laughs> be specific about it. Tell God. Write it down. Put it into words. Don't let it just be a feeling because feelings grow. Feelings morph. Feelings metastasize. Get it into words. Write it out. Admit the reality of it. Second, ask God to help you. Pardon the one who hurt you. You can't do this yourself. Neither can I. Can't be done. Humans can't do this. But God can. That's why the fifth beatitude is the fifth beatitude. These things are in order, and they're intended to build on each other. The first one, the foundational one, we saw this a few weeks ago. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know how much they need God. Blessed are those who depend on God. That's the first by attitude. Everything else depends on that. First of all, depend on God. Ask God for help. Ask God for strength. Ask God for peace. Ask God for the ability to pardon. Starts with that. Then blessed are those who mourn for their own sin. Lord, I ask you to help me pardon this person for this. Lord, I'm also admitting my own sin in this. I'm admitting what I've done wrong. No one sins alone. I'm admitting my part of this. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. That means to be submitted to the control of God. Now I'm turning this over to you, God. I'm depending on you for your power. I'm admitting my sin. I'm submitting all of this to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm asking that I might be righteous myself. Whether they are or not, I want to be. Whether they ever change, 
I want to change. Whether they're ever any different, I want to be different. We're going to God first. We're asking Him for His strength. We're repenting of our sin. We're submitting to His control. We're seeking to be righteous ourselves. And then when we do all of that, then we can ask Him to help us. Pardon the person who hurt us most effectively. And He'll do that. Now, you don't have to remember all of those beatitudes to do that. With the person that's hurt you, you're right now just simply saying, God, help me to pardon them. Show me what sin I need to confess. Help me to surrender this to you. Help me to be righteous. Help me to be the person I need to be, whatever they do. Seek his help. Now that you've done that, initiate restoration. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between the two of you. Think how much pain in our world would be different if everybody obeyed Matthew 18, 15. If we talk to you rather than about you, Think how much gossip would go away. Think how much slander and accusation would be different. If the entire world, if we could wave the magic wand and the entire world obeyed Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go to him. You're not allowed to talk about him, but to him. I'll say more about this as we get closer to the election, but I think that applies not just to the people you know, but also to the people you don't. Think how different our civil discourse would be if we spoke about politicians as though they were in the room. If we spoke about celebrities as though they could hear us. If we spoke about people as though we were speaking to them. Think how different our culture would be. In this context, the first thing I do is admit the pain. I ask God to help me to forgive, to pardon, to release, Now I go to the person. I initiate reconciliation. And last, be realistic. If this pain has been there a while, it's going to take a while to feel the burden that you're choosing to give. Feelings follow acts. Acts don't follow feelings. If a couple comes to a marriage counselor and says, we just don't feel like we love each other anymore, the counselor will probably say, well, do what you would do if you felt loving. Do what love does, and you may feel what love feels. Don't wait until you feel in love with your spouse to do what you would do if you were in love with your spouse. Do the action and the feeling will follow. Same here. Make the decision, Lord, I am releasing this. I'm turning it over to you. I'm not going to punish it psychologically, emotionally, or physically. I'm not going to hold that grudge. I'm not going to lick over, as, as Beekner says, to the last twosome morsel, both the pain I'm given and the pain I'm giving back. I'm just going to stop doing that. I'm just going to give it to you. Show me what to do. And then the next time it comes up, say, no, I've given that to God. And the next time the pain comes back, say, no, I've given that to God. And the next time the pain comes back, say, no, I've given that to God. And do it 100 times today and 90 times tomorrow, and eventually the feelings will catch up with the facts. But the feelings follow the fact that you've chosen to be merciful and you will receive. Now, there is no promise here that the other person will reciprocate. No promise here whatsoever. That's not your business. If you choose to pardon, if you initiate relationship and restoration, and they choose not to respond, that's not on you. It's 
regretful, it's hurtful, it's painful, but you've done what you can do. You've done all you can do. You're not responsible for another person's happiness. It took me years to figure that out. A lot of days I still forget that. You're not responsible for other people's happiness. That's really between them and God. You're responsible for what God wants you to do in their lives relative to their happiness. But ultimately, you can't make them happy. You can't make them anything. Ultimately, you do all you can do and trust the result to God. And be realistic. This is going to take time. But God is good. And he's still on his throne. So I'd want to say one more thing to you, and then we'll finish all this. The reason you and I can have such confidence that God will enable us to pardon those that have hurt us is that God has already done that for us. What God's asking you to do, he's already done. It can be done. And the same God who forgives every sin you confess and forgets what he's forgiven and buries it in the depths of the deepest sea and remembers it no more and will never hold it against you again, that same God who will never bring it up, that same God who loves you so passionately and unconditionally, he chose your eternal life over the death of his son. That same God now will give you the ability to give what you've received. He will do that if you'll ask. So please don't leave today trying harder to do better. Leave today saying, God, help me to give what I've received, because he will. So close with a quiz. Who won the last Nobel Peace Prize? I have no idea. What's the name of the current Miss America? I don't know. Who won the last two Heisman trophies? I know Kyler Murphy won last one. I don't remember. Who won the one before? Baker Mayfield, I guess. Yeah? How far back can you go even with that? You know? Who won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor? All the stuff that seems so important to us today, right? But if you will choose today to live your life by the fifth beatitude, the difference that decision will make in your life and perhaps in their life is eternal. So wisely, pray with me. Bow your head and your heart for just this moment and bring to mind the person, the act, the pain, whatever it is that is the practical reason you're here today. God knew before time began there'd be this time, and he knew before he founded this chapel all those years ago that one day you and I would be here and we'd be having this conversation. And he wanted you here to worship him, and he wanted you here to see these other friends and family in the faith, but he also wanted you here so that you could have this very moment with him right now. He has all of eternity just right now for you. So what's he asking you to do right now? What hurt, what person is he asking you to pray about right now? Admit them to God right now. Call the name. Describe the hurt. Give it to God. Ask God to help you choose not to punish, to release it to him. Ask God to show you if he wants you to initiate reconciliation, and if so, how. Trust him for his grace.
and know that his grace is greater than all our need. Father God, I thank you for the mercy and the grace that you offer each of us today. Thank you for the grace that we don't deserve and the mercy that doesn't punish what we do deserve. Help us to pay it forward and be released and be set free and free to know and experience your abundant life this week. I pray for me and us in Jesus' name. Amen.